KPCA 103.3 FM, Petaluma, California. I'm looking around in this place and realizing that the garden is the same as the one I grew up with. Good morning, Petaluma. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council here for our bi-weekly program and the opportunity to meet people from our community who are touching our lives, affecting our lives uh, in some way. So in our studio during our second segment today will be Chief Leonard Thompson of the Petaluma Fire Department. And sitting across from me now is Catherine Palmer, a fairly new uh, reporter for the Petaluma Argus Courier. And as she was saying before, she's used to asking the questions of people, so today will be a switch. Well, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to have you here. How often do you get to be on radio? Um, not that often anymore. Oh. Uh, I, I did kind of volunteer at a radio station when I was in college and then uh, had the opportunity to intern at Capital Public Radio for about eight months in Sacramento. So it's, it's been a while. It's nice to be back in the it's studio. Good. It's yeah. good. It's a lot of fun. You, you, we get all dressed up for radio, right? It's, <laughs> a, you know, yeah. you, it's good. Uh, it is wonderful. So my usual procedure is to uh, ask you at first um, a little bit about yourself, how you got into the business you're in right now, and where life is taking you on your journey. Right. Okay. Great. Well, um, yeah, currently the uh, reporter for for Petaluma at the, the Argus Courier. I've been here, I think this week marks four months. Oh, okay. So uh, relatively new, um, but I, I am familiar with Petaluma. I've lived here uh, cumulatively, I think, about two and a half years. Uh, I moved here when I was uh, in, in college, uh, uh, going to the JC, and then moved away, uh, went to UC Santa Cruz, kind of came back afterwards, and for the past about, about two years, I've been ping-ponging between Sacramento, my, my hometown, and, and Petaluma. Um, so I had the opportunity to come to the Argus Courier and, and gladly took the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you here. And how did you get into doing this stuff? Uh, this stuff, this journalism stuff. Yes. Uh, hmm. Well, I was pretty decided on the career when I went to or transferred to UC Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. Um, but it had taken me some time to really commit to it. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, journalism is hard. Uh, make sure you're ready. And I also spent years in high school really revering. Um, idolizing journalists, and I think I created a little bit of a a pedestal um, for for those journalists. And it took me some time to uh, decide that that's something that I I really wanted to do. So uh, in in college, I worked at the student paper and uh, worked as a volunteer at the the radio station, and also dabbled in a little bit of uh, video news when they had a club there. Uh, so that's really my was my first foray, and I've essentially been been in it ever since. 
So. Well, given the current climate of uh, journalism in America, hmm. um, would that idolization still be happening today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Well, for me, it's more. It, it's it's journalists and what they've done. Not only. I mean, journalism has a, a long history, not only in the U.S., but globally. You think of international journalists and what good journalism has done uh, in terms of uncovering uh, some some things and, and allowing people to learn more about each other. Uh, so, But I also think the idolization comes from the, the ability for stories when I was a high schooler for these stories to to really affect me, uh, to, to read someone's story and to understand such different lived experiences than mine. So I think that's what I idolize, that ability to instill empathy, to reach out. Um, that, that's, that's really what I idolize. So, um, yeah, it's a hard world for the journalists these days because of the Internet, and digital uh, digital access to so many opportunities for different takes on stories and on what the, what's true and what's quote fake news, all that kind of stuff. How has that affected you as as you started your career? Has it in any way, or are you are you okay where, where, with it all right now? <laughs> Definitely not okay with it. Uh, it's uh, it's something that I think everyone in media is very keenly aware of and constantly trying to explain our our profession to friends and family and, and people who are interested in order to kind of dispel some misnomers and, and um, mistruths about the profession. But then also in terms of, of fake news uh, or or everything that that encompasses, right? Uh, that, that was actually kind of my first real journalism gig is when I was at Capitol Public Radio in Sacramento, I worked on the PolitiFact team. So it was just a lot of um, diving into fact-checking and, and dispersing these kind of uh, uh, mistruths and um, internet rumors and things like that and learning kind of on the ground how much that can really affect how people understand issues and even interact with things like local elections or local processes. And sometimes, of course, it's uh, if you have 10 facts and only three or four or five are shared, there are 10 facts about a certain situation and only a few are shared, that also colors the nature of the story. So there's this balance between providing too, information, too much information to the public. There's never too much, but it's got to be readable, right? You have to write something that's readable. And how much, making those decisions as a journalist, as a writer, what to include and what not to include. Right. Yeah, yeah so that, that's, that's, yeah, it's, that's the, the role of the journalist, too, is create a, a fair and balanced uh, representation of an issue um, and not just drop a bunch of data because I, I'm I mean, anyone could do that. And I really appreciate, I read your article this morning about housing uh, in this morning's Argus Courier, I believe, and you had a lot, you had data, you had research 
what affordability means and all this, and to, to try to find the balance between that and letting people know what's happening around affordable housing in Petaluma. Is, is it, there's an art in that, and I appreciate that art that you bring to our community. So if, aside from working at the Petaluma Argus Courier, what's your dream for your future? Do you have any uh, <laughs> thoughts about where you'd like to go with all this? Um, I have many dreams. Okay. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm absolutely so happy to be here at the Argus. I mean, uh, it, it hasn't always been the case. Journalism is really hard, and newsrooms can sometimes be really difficult places to work. Uh, especially just in terms of being an employee. If the newsroom is impacted by uh, lots of cuts, it's being squeezed, I think a lot of people can probably relate, um, had a job here and there where maybe the company wasn't doing too well and, and you felt that you didn't feel appreciated. Uh, I, that's not the case at the Argus. I, I walk in and I'm, I'm so happy every day to be there and really thankful for uh, the community that also is so engaged because otherwise, what are we doing if no one's reading, no one cares, no one is talking with us uh, and, and giving us the opportunity to, to better learn and converse with the, the people and the lives that, that we write about. Um, so, uh, of course, I have many dreams and, um, you know, I have maybe intentions of going on to, to larger media markets uh, in the future. But we'll see where, where things take me, because for now, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with where I am. And that's good to hear. And, of course, one advantage of a small town, there, there's not too much competition in the newsroom, right? There's not, that, that's, that's just the way it is. Somebody sent me a note that said you're the news editor. Is that a true title you have? It is, What yes. does that mean? Yeah. Um, well, I... It, I also handle some digital aspects, so it's a little bit more autonomy, but um, because we're a small newsroom, um, we kind of take on a lot uh, in, covering, in covering the city, so wearing multiple hats, really. So along with reporting um, and, and, and turning out stories every week, it's kind of also deciding what's going to go online and, and handling that whole aspect of things. I mean, even the difference between Sacramento, which is, uh, I can't it's a small town from a city point of view, but it's also a big town from a government point of view and from the political machinations in, in Sacramento. So it's a really different kind of reporting experience to be in a place like Petaluma, I would assume. It is. It is, definitely. And I think it's a wonderful place for a young journalist to be. Um, it, it's it's establishing relationships and conversations. Even I, I mean, just going to a coffee shop and I see someone, and we can talk about an issue that's important to them, or how they're affected, or how they feel about something that maybe has happened in City Hall, or maybe that's just happening within their own lives. Um, and and not to say that doesn't happen in large cities as well, but. There's that that kind of close relationship that I think really breeds um, a good relationship between between readers and between between the pe the paper. So what what do you see as uh, the issues in Petaluma? What what are the ones that come to the top in your mind about what's what's happening here? Well, 
I guess I can speak to what I've been spending a long time reporting on recently, um, and that's been, of course, development and housing. Uh, we've had a few very long uh, city council meetings recently, bringing uh, a lot of uh, very engaged citizens to come uh, and talk about uh, what what they would like to see um, in in development projects in Petaluma. So, of course, that is a big issue. That's that's always an issue, especially in a, a smaller town like Petaluma. Um, of course, recently we, uh, as on the cover of our our front page, is uh, we got some funding finally for dredging. So I'm sure that's something that we'll be following closely, and everyone is very excited to see. It should be a great thing to see as well, because sometimes the headline of a so-and-so housing development passed, you don't see it. It's just something that happened, and maybe you'll drive down the street and start to see some construction on that piece of land, but dredging should be a very visual uh, and engaging thing to, to see and, and how that changes the river. So those are a few of the issues that I, I think will continue to really dominate some coverage. Um uh, housing, of course, affordability, and and recently, you know, this year is the first year that the city will have the Climate Action Commission, so following that uh, should be a priority as well uh, in my my goals of, of covering covering City Hall and all that all that goes on there. Oh, wow, you get to do a lot. I sure do. You <laughs> sure do. You get to go. Yeah, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. There are many, many other things, just because I didn't uh, you know, the talk about them, there's so many, I mean, there's education, there's just, just personal stories as well and, and things like that. I know that the dredging thing is, I ran into Leland Fishman yesterday, who is the Commodore of the Petaluma Yacht Club, and they are all excited about the possibility mm -hmm. or, or the, the new contract now to dredge the river and have this boat traffic come back into our city and kind of pick up uh, uh, some energy in our town that's been missing for quite a while because of the river situation. So yeah. we get to be part of all that. How do you think? Uh, how do you think a local newspaper can or should cover, uh, like the the national stuff? Should there be anything? Uh, is there is there a plan, for instance, as the elections come, to cover reactions in town or to to look at that in any way or? Does this paper stay away from that? As far as you know, and left to the Press Democrat, which is your parent uh, organization, to cover the political parts of it. What's, what's that like for a small paper? Well, um, I haven't uh, worked here during an election cycle, so I, I have yet to. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And of course, um, I am I am the reporter, and the a lot of the decisions in terms of content uh, is left to uh, the editor. Uh, so. But in terms of just broadly taking more regional or national stories and making them local, that's always something that we're trying to do, but at the risk of not um, being perhaps attracted to those big headline-making stories that may seem fun to bring a local angle to, we don't want to not talk about what may seem and I'm kind of air quoting here as small potatoes. Okay, I'll take a picture of it so you can show it on the radio. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the only drawback. Um, <laughs> you can't really talk with your hands on radio. Uh, it is the small issues that really affect people's lives. Mm -hmm. So 
we want to create a balance of that uh, and make sure that the things that people have questions about that affect just Petalumens day to day, new businesses, things happening on and happening in maybe their kids' schools, um, or or just an interesting story about one of their neighbors, is also as important to cover as maybe localizing a big issue, because in the media market we all have our we all have our, our roles. Um, we, you have the huge national organizations that are able to cover these big breaking news things that, that are more national and broad. And but who else is covering Petaluma? Um, it's and with such an engaged, seriously engaged city, uh, that's something that we really respect and and want to constantly uh, meet. So part part of my thoughts when I started this radio program was uh, that, you know, I was feeling that we in Petaluma could feel powerless in the face of things happening mm. beyond our city nationally and internationally, certainly, and that our power lies within our own community and within our ability to muster our ideas, to take care of our environment, to look at our political processes here, and that if we, and part of having guests such as you on the on the show is to let us know that there are people that affect what's happening locally in a way that can really make us feel empowered in this world that's pretty complicated and easy to feel powerless uh, when we read national news. So you're, you're actually fitting in to that philosophy piece of why this program is here, because the people who come on, whether it be somebody in, in the political arena here, in the government, or whether it be uh, a writer, whether it be the junior college president who was on a couple of weeks ago, all those things fill in all the life that we have, and our life is here. So mm. it does come together that way, and it's important for us. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up when uh, I grew up thinking... The local paper was this dog bites man uh, you know, series of articles, and yeah. you know, as uh, I've gotten engaged in our community in the past 15 years, I've really seen how different my vision of local community and the press and the reporting of what's happening, how different it can be than just dog bites man. And I used to say man bites dog because that would really be a news story <laughs> for you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, your news cycle is fairly short. It's once a week. And have you worked on a uh, daily paper? You know, I haven't. So uh-huh. so that's that's uh, that's one of those things that if I ever feel feel myself kind of complaining about the weekly deadlines, it's, it's nothing compared to the many, many, many journalists who are working on, on daily deadlines. And it's it's quite a skill. It's it's always great to see, especially up at the Press Democrat, um, people turn around really fantastically written and reported stories, and I know on such a tight deadline. Um, it's it's really hard, uh, especially when you have these big uh, concerns over your head of, am I being fair? Is this an accurate representation? Is this the right word? Uh, so I, I'm very... I, I'm comfortable here in my weekly, uh, but it's, you know, the deadlines are still, they, they still come every week, and they're a, a unique a unique element, I think, of this industry. 
And um, what's the what's the balance now between digital reading and print reading? For you, do you have any concept of that for the paper? You know, I do. Uh, our publisher is definitely the one who can right, spout out those those numbers much better than I can. But the the trend we see is, uh, I mean, paper is is falling by the wayside, and it's much more digital focused. So that's something that we see in in newsrooms across the country. Uh, it's it's quite the topic of conversation in terms of content creation and adaptation and and how we reach people. Um, it's 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 kind of one of the big uh, overarching almost. I don't want to say existential because it makes it sound like it's not approachable, but it's one of those big issues that uh, the leaders of my industry uh, are working on and. I'm just sitting back and watching it happen. Watching it happen, but you're yeah. You're part of it. You're also. Part I am of it. a you part of it, absolutely. It. Yes, it affects our daily our daily work, and you know, I spend plenty of time on digital to make sure that things are up for our digital subscribers and accessible. And also, a lot of people get their news through social media, so that's a whole other aspect in terms of trying to reach people and and um, inculcate readership and and open discussion is just trying to reach people in this whole digital sphere. So. Do you have to write differently for digital? Or is, is there no difference between how you handle the writing part and, the, and in your mind, too? You know, do you think that this article is only going to, because I, I'm writing this on Monday and it's for the digital, I have to write it differently than the article that's going to be in print on Thursday? There's definitely opportunities for variances. Um, uh-huh. There's, I mean, kind of in news writing, there's there's differences between, I mean, radio, uh, radio writing is, is much different. I mean, how things sound out loud and making them make sure it's not long and you don't have a lot of commas versus broadcast and news writing. And also digital has its own um, space that's also important. It also creates these opportunities to kind of link in um, and maybe plop down a, a link to a, a a tweet, which of course a lot of news stories do now, especially nationally, um, and and I don't know YouTube videos, things like that. Uh, there isn't, there's always the ability to adapt, and that's something that we're always trying to do to make sure that the content that we're creating is as perfectly adapted to the medium in which we're using to put it out into the world, because that's really, I mean, that's underlying thing is. How clear can we make this? Because we don't want to lose people. We want them to know what's going on. So, you know, we don't want to be too verbose or, or long-winded. Um, there's, always, there's always variances. And I would venture to guess that the, from the publisher's point of view, uh, the revenue uh, generation is very different in the digital piece than in the printed piece. And uh, does it make up for for what's lost in the printed piece when you go into digital. And I know that's probably, that may, if you want to comment it on, you can. But I wish I had yeah, the no, knowledge to comment, yeah, but yeah, I'm... No, I, I would imagine that that's a difference because, uh, you know, it is still a business mm-hmm. and uh, it costs a lot. You have to pay employees and uh, the whole overhead, etc. And so there is that business piece of the difference between digital and printed. And I was also thinking of uh, when we were talking about the daily... Uh, grinding out of articles. Uh, I, lo- you know, I love the New York Times from a national point of view, uh, but the articles are very long from my perspective. You know, they're, they're very long on, in the New York Times. And, 
thinking of the digital length and the digital reading as opposed to a printed reading of such long articles is a whole different experience for people. It is. And I, I, I remember I can never forget this. Uh, I had the opportunity to um, study for a summer at UC Berkeley School of Journalism. Uh, essentially got a, a minor in, in undergraduate journalism there. And I think it was like the first day uh, one of my professors had said in a class geared toward digital journalism is that, I mean, there are so many metrics on on audience behavior and, and reader behavior. And one of the first things, and we all do this, we click on an article if we decide to click on it. So a lot of times we just read the headline and that's it. But if we decide to click on an article, we scroll all the way to the, to the bottom and then we decide, will I read this? How long is this? How much time do I want to spend reading this? It's the first thing people do is I'll scroll all the way to the bottom. If it's short enough, okay, I'll give it a quick read. If it's long, then people have to decide, well, do I want to spend the time to read this? And, of course, we always hope that people do um, spend a lot of time making sure that there's plenty of important, pertinent, and sometimes very interesting information in there. Yeah, the interesting part of that for me has been that reporters' names are put at the top, like mm -hmm. this article is by Catherine Palmer, right? But if it's a commentator or an editorial of some sort, uh, the name is at the bottom on the digital screen. And that used to frustrate me because I had to go all the way to the bottom because there are certain ones I want to be able to read and certain ones I don't particularly follow. So it's interesting that, they, that that's been the choice, that the editorial, the David Brooks name is all the way at the bottom mm. or any of those names. Yeah, for some publications they do yeah. that. Uh, for us, everything, we have the same format for everything. So everything um, is at the top. So, and it's also, I think, just the, the type of web design that they use. Uh -huh. uh, I don't... I really don't have a, a key into that, but I can understand, right. you know. Yeah, so um, we're winding down our program, our segment with you this after, uh, this morning. And I wanted to check in. Anything else you wanted us to know about your work, the Argus Courier, um, Petaluma, what it means to you? A little bit of time. <laughs> Um, well, really, I would just encourage people to um, subscribe to the Argus Courier. It's a hyper-local um, publication that uh, is so important to creating community and, and letting people know uh, what's going on right around the corner, who lives in their town. And um, it's just, I think it's one of those important things of creating community and feeling connected to people, especially in a digital age where everything seems to be anonymous. Well, thank you, Catherine Palmer, a reporter, news editor for the Argus Courier for being with us. We invite our listeners back to our second segment in three minutes.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. Welcome back to our studio. Uh, for our second segment, our guest is Chief Leonard Thompson of the Petaluma Fire Department and the Rancho Adobe Fire Department. He's got two patches, one on each shoulder. And I guess when he's giving orders, he has to turn his shoulders to, the, <laughs> to, to his staff to let them know how he's speaking. Welcome to the studio today. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Really nice to be here. It's great to have you here. And, um, yeah, you know, you're in such a, a, a vital position in our community. And uh, I don't know if you heard the ending part of the last one. I don't know if you could hear out there, but... Uh, I was talking about the, one of the purposes of this program is for the community to meet people who affect our lives in some way, whether it be a reporter, uh, somebody from the college, uh, all kinds of people who affect our li- lives in different ways. And you, you and your department and the men and women who serve with you uh, are really vital, vital, vital to our Petaluma and Rancho Adobe communities. So thank you for coming in today and taking time to be here. And how, how did you get into this business in your life? I mean, where... It's kind, where? Of, a, it's kind of a strange story. I, I was in college, uh-huh. and uh, my family has always historically been uh, in uh, the teaching profession, and I was on my way to do that. Uh-huh. And uh, I found myself looking through a newspaper, and this happened to just pop up, join the fire department, you know, uh, exciting career. Uh-huh. And uh, I went after it and, and got it. Wow. It's just like that. Just you like that. Yeah. What were you going to teach? Uh, probably English. Uh-huh. And okay. so uh, uh, I uh, I think I disappointed part of my family. <laughs> <laughs> but they're really proud of me as well. So I'm sure they are. You have quite a, a, a resume of accomplishment in your life. Yes. Quite a resume of accomplishment. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in Southern California. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I, uh, I, for there, I was, uh, as I was uh, my senior year in college, I joined the fire department. And uh, for 35 years, uh, I had the privilege to, to uh, help and, and uh, guide the fire department for the citizens of Los Angeles. So I mm-hmm. uh, actually grew up in the city of Compton, uh, but uh, because of that area so diverse and so large, I was able to. Uh, I wasn't too far from my from my uh, from my job. So, yeah. Well, we consider Southern California to be a suburb of Petaluma. <laughs> uh, you know, we are pretty Petaluma centric here, so we look at it that way. Well, there's it's, uh, and you've been in Petaluma since 2015, I think. Well, uh, that's when I. It's it's kind of a funny story. I after retiring after 35 years in Los Angeles, I came up here to get a more quiet, sedate place to live. And uh, I was retired for almost five years before I, I got the call from uh, John Brown to see if I was interested in being an interim fire chief. And, of course, right away I said no, <laughs> being <Of> retired. <laughs> but he convinced me and uh, uh, the interim terms to full-time in 2015. And I've been here five years uh-huh. and enjoying every moment of it. So how long ex- were you here before in the interim basis? Uh, yeah, okay. I was here for, well, it was a funny story, uh, uh, John said, oh, you'd only be here for four to six months maximum. Uh-huh. And then, of course, that turned out to be not so true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it uh, a whole lot. I, I 
I pride myself in, in wanting the fire department and the community to uh, experience my training, education, and, and and guidance for the fire service. So I'm really happy to be here. And how large is the staff here? How many? We have we have uh, approximately 62 people total. That includes a uh, of civilian staff. On a daily basis, we have uh, 17 people responding to emergency incidents on a daily basis. Right. And uh, I, I remember when Chief Savano was here a while ago on the show, uh, the staffing was much lower following the recession in 2008, 2010, etc. And how is your department in terms of staffing? Are you up to par, up to expectations? Well, when I first got here, um, staffing hadn't changed since, I believe, 1998. Mm. Responses were 2,500 then. It's about 7,500 now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was a terrific need for additional resources. Uh, thanks to Peggy Flynn, our new city manager, we were able to get an additional uh, rescue ambulance. So that has really helped us. But as uh, our incidents and responses start to climb, we're going to need additional resources as we move forward. So... Yeah, it seems to be the call everywhere for additional resources. And, and the sad part is that all of you who work together, the police department, the fire department, you're all uh, partners, and yet when it comes to resources, you're in competition. And it's a strange uh, it's a strange a dynamic, dynamic yes, that, absolutely right. that sets <laughs> up that way. You know, after, uh, uh, you know, Ken gets a, a new officer, you... <laughs> <laughs> you still have to talk to each other and obviously work And you know, I, I'm a big supporter of our police department. Oh, I right. wish they would get everything that they need. Yeah. But, but us too. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. We understand that. We understand that. Is uh, These calls that are coming in, are they false alarms? Are they... What's what's it like? What's uh, that well, that picture of... Of course, you have you have a, a, a myriad of, of types of incidents. Yeah, but the majority of our calls are, are medical, yeah. and that's around 70%. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, you, you still have false alarm. You still have fires. You still have even river rescues or hazmat incidents. And uh, we consider ourselves to be a, a all-risk fire department, so we handle all kinds of things. And we have to train for all kinds of things. Right. So when you say you consider yourself an all-other fire department's either in the area or in general, that will say, we don't do that? There's some that don't actually have the capability to okay. do some of the things that we do. Right. Uh, like uh, our USAR, Urban Search and Rescue. You know, we have training in that. Uh, water Rescue, we have training in that. Now, some departments don't. Right. And so we, we try to specialize in those instances uh, where uh, they don't happen too often. But we have to train and prepare for it. You know, especially with a, a pending earthquake or a flood for the city or things like that. Yeah, and of course, uh, the nature of the business is emergency business. So exactly. Uh, the, uh, the preparations are all in theory until the emergency happens. And uh, uh, the men and women who train are become experts before they even have to do the actual deed that they're going to perform and the, the help that they're going to bring to people. Uh, exactly. That's an essential part of what we do is to train, preparing for those emergencies that's going to pop up. And, right. 
it's a it's a vital part of our organization in in dealing with the next emergency. Right. So uh, in this now era of uh, rain, fall deficiencies, fire, the fire seasons, and the past couple of years, of course, what's what's happening within our departments that uh, uh, helps us prepare for that? For that, and how can the citizens help you uh, in this new climate that we have? You know, funny thing you should mention that uh, on a quarterly basis we actually have a disaster preparedness program that goes out to the communities. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we invite the community to come in and we try to uh, get them ready for the next big emergency, whether that's evacuation or something as simple as how to turn your gas off and uh, recognizing that you have to be alert and uh, listen to those uh, warnings that come out, whether it's through the newspaper or through uh, television or radio or something like Nixle or your, your uh, uh, you know, the, the social media outlets. So uh, that's part of what we do. And so all the other things, all the other emergencies that we prepare for is an ongoing basis, whether it's uh, uh, vegetation fires or the, the big fires that we've had recently, like the Kincaid fire. But those are all ongoing and, and preparing but we like to get out in the community and, and help them uh, prepare for something that's a, of major concern to us. Yeah, my, uh, my daughter goes to Grant School, and uh, she came home after a visit from the fire department, and they got to climb on the truck, and all kinds of instructions about what to do in case of emergency, different kinds of emergencies, and uh, it was really pretty exciting for them to have this opportunity. And, to meet the firefighters and to meet the, the EMTs and to learn more about these emergency services in our community because... Uh, yeah, that's, that's funny because that's that's kind of our gateway into the family. Yeah. You know, to you have a, a young child who's really jazzed about uh, fire safety and so they lead the family through all the safety procedures that we've tried to instill in them. Yeah. In fact, we're currently uh, teaching uh, third graders in the in the city, all third graders on fire safety. Yep. So that's one of our yeah, that's one of our programs. <laughs> it did a, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> it was good for her. Yes. Um, so, so talk a moment about your Rancho Adobe and the the split between the departments and um, your role in both of them. Right. I am the uh, administrative chief for Rancho Adobe. I'm the full time chief for Petaluma, and part of my responsibility is to uh, oversee uh, the three stations in Rancho Adobe. Because they surround the city, it was a natural progression for their board of directors to reach out to me to see if I was interested in man managing them as well. So what happens is, uh, for a limited period of time, uh, they pay the city of Petaluma for my services. Right. And so I guide them, give them direction. And what we're trying to do is kind of... Uh, uh, meld our services together so we can have better service to all of our communities, which means things like uh, uh, training. Training, like I mentioned before, is very important. So we train together. We decided to drop our borders so that the closest resource available will respond to an emergency so there's no delay. You know, it's an obvious thing. But yeah, but it's not so obvious. It's not so obvious, right, yeah, for people that... 
So we've got a good relationship. The firefighters are interacting. They're training together, and it's a very positive experience for everybody. Is uh, So we have on the ballot, and I know you are not in a position to endorse or not endorse, et cetera, um, a measure. I think it's Measure G, correct? Correct, Measure G for the asset sales staff. I believe part of the purpose of that was to consolidate, uh, to lead to some consolidation of the very many departments that we have in Sonoma County so that there could be more coordination among departments. So could you tell us what Measure G is hoped to accomplish and all that? Absolutely. As you know, there's, I think there's about 38 different agencies in yeah. the county, which is huge. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the goal of uh, the county measure has been to be, uh, to have these services efficient, effective, and uh, deliver a service that uh, everybody can be proud of. Uh, part of the problem has always been that uh, uh, there's been underfunding for uh, the fire service in the county. And they're trying to bridge that gap with this new measure. And it's been, uh, uh, I believe the Board of Supervisors have gone out to different communities to present uh, exactly what's going to be accomplished with this. And that includes more firefighters. Their, their goal is, again, to drop borders so we can be more efficient and do a, a, a sustainable uh, uh, amount of money coming into the coffers of these different agencies. So then... They can work together and uh, become possibly one or two or three uh, bigger departments uh, in the county to serve the citizens better. Is there, uh, what would the benefit be for Petaluma? Would there be a benefit that would come out of that? Uh, yeah, approximately, uh, there's going to be approximately $1.7 to $1.9 million that will be flowing into the fire department here, which was for... Uh, more firefighters uh, and assist us in maybe building a new station because we desperately need another station uh, and uh, just help with the alerting system that uh, everybody's been talking about in the county to get citizens a, a warning, a pre-warning if there's a, a large incident going on, things like that. Where would that other fire station be, by the way? Well, Any visions of that? Absolutely. And, uh, and I know Ken is probably going to going to say what but it's <laughs> right where he's right is right where his, his police station is well they would like it a bigger police station <laughs> yeah, so he'd be exactly happy, i think he'd be happy to exchange the land with you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yes. it's kind of fun, funny thing between us and he's looking for we are looking for better facilities and yeah. that's that's part of what would like to see happen in the future right that's uh, obviously important for the community that our safety uh, agencies have the resources and the uh, that they need in order to function properly. Absolutely. No, no problem with that. Yeah, so the mail ballots have gone out already, so people are already voting. So I appreciate your talking a little bit about the about Measure G, and people can make up their minds. Uh, uh, I saw one comment in the paper this morning that um, uh, we shouldn't do it because it doesn't benefit Petaluma. So, and I, I'm not asking you to comment more on it because mm-hmm. I know you're not in the position to do that, but. It's something for us all to think about as voters, about how particularly as these fires increase, uh, the big fires and uh, the dryness, uh, the season in the fall in particular, and what we've witnessed in 2017 and 2019. Yeah, the Petaluma Fire Department is 
is providing very, very good service to the community. What this uh, half-cent sales tax is going to do is to bolster those companies around us that need additional staffing. They're going to give us additional staffing, but more importantly, those that respond when we're at a big incident to fill for us, that they get the, the proper support. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I'm envisioning, envisioning this like the old story about the man who drills the hole in the boat. And we said, only drilling the hole under my seat, right? That when there are these huge fires like we've experienced in the past couple of years, we're all connected to it. Absolutely. And we are dependent upon one another. And we shouldn't see, oh, that's only happening up there. Uh, because particularly in 2017, there were some fears that that fire could have come down uh, in this direction. Trust me, I was uh, I was I was worried there for a while. You were losing some sleep too, probably. Yeah. So the notion that uh, that it doesn't affect us here in Petaluma, and uh, why should we pay more taxes? In, in my mind, it's like the man who wants to drill a hole under his seat in the boat because he likes to have feel water splash under his feet. You know. It doesn't work because we were all in this, so it's an important piece. And you know, as as we uh, talk about that kind of uh, picture, you've got to remember that even if we're not affected in that way, we're affected in other ways. Because you've got uh, a large number of people that are being evacuated, and where do they go? They go to our community centers right. or any of our uh, facilities that could handle a, for temporary, you know. Uh, uh, comfort for them. So uh, we are affected, but in different ways. Yeah. Uh, but that's also part of, sure. of, of a larger community. And we've had an amazing turnout and support from our community to help the evacuees to come here. And that uh, between the emergency services and the nonprofit agencies and all the volunteers, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful response over the years. So what's training like for the firefighters? What do they have to go through to be uh, qualified in, in firefighting? Well, we have a, a certified state program that, uh, that there are, are very, there are many levels uh, to learning, not only how to deploy hose or raise ladders or how to drive engines and uh, pumping capacities and uh, how to rescue people, how to you know, it's it's a, a myriad of things that they have to qualify for through some very specific training programs. And then, of course, if you want to be a paramedic, uh, you have to have additional training. And that's six months to a year of actual uh, learning about uh, medicines and, and how to uh, administer to uh, uh, people, such as people having heart attacks and things like that. Yeah, what's what's the in our community? What's the response time like? Uh, the national goal has always been uh, four minutes, ninety percent of the time, uh -huh. and up until uh, I think a year and a half, two years ago, we were almost meeting that standard. Uh -huh. But because of the increase in calls, we're probably a minute beyond that. Mm -hmm. So okay. we're closer to five minutes now, uh -huh. and so that's one of the problems. You know, we're we depend on our response times to give effective. Uh, efficient service. So, uh, as you see that goes up, you know that there's new, more resources that needs that to be. we need to be doing. That everything's tied in together right. to the notion of resources. So, how long is the training for the firefighters? Uh, there's a 
a firefighter one course, I believe that's uh, been put on uh, by uh, Santa Rosa Junior College. Uh -huh. I think it lasts about six months or okay. so. Okay. And then if you want to go uh, to be a paramedic, that'll give you a, a firefighter one classification uh -huh. as a state certification. And then uh, after that, if you want to be a paramedic, it'll take you another six months to a year to uh, to become proficient there. And then you've got to do some trials and be sponsored by a certain organization like us. Petaluma will sponsor you and, and you provide you with an intern program and then you have to prove to us that you're efficient and effective in delivering your service. Do most of the firefighters and the EMTs, do they live in Petaluma or are they coming from all Some do. Places? Some come from further out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're trying to get some local participation in the fire service and we're always looking for local uh, qualified candidates within the city. Oh, so that would be uh, uh, That's one of our goals. Yeah. That would be an announcement over this radio program to say we would like Someone come on. Oh, yeah. We are looking for more qualified for qualified candidates to work in our department who live locally. That Absolutely. would be great. No, that, that's important. Um, you know, I don't really think there's necessarily uh, a, a better investment by people who live locally because I think the firefighters who and the EMTs who go into this business do it because they care and because they want to help the world in which they live. Uh, but it's also good to have people who are local who understand what growing up here is like and uh, know the intimacies of Petaluma. That makes it that helps. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great benefit for us when there's somebody local right. that knows the community, knows how the community reacts, right. and uh, are personable uh, in that they uh, know people in the community. Right. And so there's a, a good interaction there that, right. that really helps us all the way around. So, you know, as uh, we anticipate hopefully new construction and more people coming into Petaluma, but more housing more affordable housing in Petaluma. Um, and uh, with the Climate Commission working and wanting to us to be sensitive, uh, any fire-related concerns with the nature of construction around different materials that are now being advocated to be used in housing? Uh, absolutely. And so our fire code is very strict on those kinds of things. So whenever there's plans being submitted, that uh, we have an opportunity to review them and make sure that they meet our standards. And not only structural materials, but accesses. Can our fire trucks get down a specific road? Can, a, uh, can we take our gurneys up those stairways that they're planning? Or are their elevators big enough, especially when we've got the elderly that live above the first floor? You know, so our abilities. So we look at all those kinds of things in order to deliver better service. I would think, and how do you feel about the uh, turning off the gas uh, movement in various cities to not allow new construction with gas lines in it? Is that uh, something that would be better for fire safety in our community? Is oh, it not, not necessarily. Okay. I, think, I think you have to look at, at exactly what's being planned and, and uh, looked at in development and our planning commission in conjunction with our building department and our uh, fire marshal look at all those things as we move forward. Uh, there used to be uh, a uh, 
a statute that said that uh, you had to wait to allow uh, the fire, uh, the water fire system to be instituted only after the building was done. Now they've changed that. So as, as you go floor by floor, you have to have those services installed so that we, if we come on scene and you've got an issue, that we can still provide the service that you need. Mm. So um, any other uh, thoughts about living? You don't live in, actually, you don't live in the city, right? I live in San Rafael. Oh, you live in San Rafael, right. Another suburb of Petaluma. Right? I, got <laughs> yeah. you, I got you. Um, any, um, you know, I have found our city to be an amazing community of people who are actually active and care very much about uh, any resistances that you found uh, in the community to fire safety issues. Uh, you know, uh, your fire inspector was on this radio program, I lost track maybe a year ago, I lost track of when she was here, um, talking about you know inspecting the businesses and helping them make sure that things are safe for them. Any resistances is, uh, that you're experiencing? Well, you know, what's happened always, uh, there's always uh, contractors that want to have a more uh, efficient way for them to build. And we, our goal is always to make sure that they're safe and that they meet uh, the fire code requirements. And, of course, there are some that don't actually agree with what we're doing. But what we try to do is... We try to work with them and try to get the best alternative if there's such a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think we've had great cooperation. You know, once once things are explained to them, uh, so uh, are there going to be people that don't agree with what we're doing? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> of, of course. course. Yeah, yeah. Of course yeah. But we try to work with them. Yeah. I, I, not, you know, it's not uh, your way or the highway. Uh -huh. So. Do, do any programs in the high school? Uh, that might be a good place to start getting people thinking about becoming firefighters or EMTs and stuff like that. I, do I think you're that. absolutely right. So we do, we do have those kinds of uh, outreach uh -huh. so that uh, uh, people are aware of the, the things that they can do with the fire service. And uh, we always welcome interns. Uh -huh. uh, and so if they're, if they're interested, uh, please contact your local fire station. Well, it's really been an honor to have you uh, on our program this morning, Chief Leonard Thompson from the Petaluma and Rancho Adobe Fire Departments. And I want to thank you for taking your time to be here today and for helping to take care of our wonderful city. Thank, thank you. you. It was my pleasure. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCALP, Petaluma, California. We'll be back in two weeks for our next program. <laughs>